Welcome to the New Grace Sermon Podcast. Our church exists so people experience new life in Christ. We invite you to connect with us on social media at newgrace.cc on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about us or to support this ministry financially, visit us at newgrace.cc. If you have your Bible, go to the book of Luke with me. Luke chapter number 6. Luke chapter 6. Let's look at this word that God has for us. I want to say I have thoroughly enjoyed myself the last few weeks, just enjoyed preaching and walking in the flow of his spirit and enjoying his power in the room. I want to be real mindful over the next few moments. And I'm not really worried. I want you to listen to me. I'm not really worried about how good of a time we have in the next few minutes. I'm kind of on a mission and, and I got some, I, I'm on an assignment this afternoon with some things that God put right here that I got to get out and help all of us with because there ain't one person in this room who is exempt from what we're about to talk about. Look at it with me, Luke chapter 6. Look what Jesus said in verse 27. But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies. Do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you. Some of y'all are some of y'all are already like, I'm out. I'm out. He goes on to say, and pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto him that smiteth thee on the, on the one cheek, offer also the other. Him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee. And of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as you would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. For if ye love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what think have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if you lend to them of whom you hope to receive, what think have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love ye your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. I want to talk today about loving difficult people. Loving difficult people. I want you to say that all over the house with me. Loving difficult people. Like you've had to learn how to do it. Loving difficult people. Like you wish you didn't have to do it. Say it. Loving difficult people. I was preparing this message and as I was typing everything and looking at it, I Pushed my laptop out of my lap, sat back and crossed my arms, and I stared at my screen. And out loud, I said, 
This is the hardest sermon to live. This is an easy sermon to type. It won't be that hard to preach. But this may be, and I said it out loud to myself, this may be the hardest sermon that I've ever preached to our church that we are supposed to live. I want you right now to think of a difficult person in your life. I'm just glad that a husband didn't say that about his wife. Because I'd be like, brother, you don't know nothing about difficult till now. Just, 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 it won't take you long. In fact, when, when I said loving difficult people, somebody popped up in your mind. A face came to the forefront of your imagination. A name filled in the blank on the canvas of your creativity, and you thought about somebody that you would consider difficult. Rhetorical question, but what is it that makes a person or the person you're thinking about, what is it that makes them difficult? Okay, another honest question, another hard question. Do you love? that difficult person. Many of us right now are thinking, well, I, I want to. I don't do a good job of it. Some of us are thinking, yeah, I, I, I do. I do love them. And some of us, in all honesty and transparency, have to say between us and the Holy Ghost, no, I hate them. I do. I know I need to love them. I know I should love them. But when it really comes down to it, if I'm honest, I hate or have a strong distaste and dislike for this individual or this, this group of people. I don't like them. My objective would be by the end of this message that you would love them, that you would find out that you in fact do love them or that you would commit to doing so by the time we leave. Let me say this by way of introduction. Loving people is difficult. It just is. Loving humanity is a hard thing to do. And I will go on to say that loving difficult people sometimes seems like it is impossible. Whether it be a spouse or your child or the person who raised you or a sibling or a co-worker or a boss, a friend, an ex. Maybe somebody you go to church with, someone that you worship with, someone that you fellowship with. The reality is that loving those people we deem difficult is sometimes more than difficult. Do you ever feel like it's just easier to reserve our love for other things other than people? I love food. I love to eat. It's an experience. When we get to eat at my house, when me and my wife go on a date, or even if I'm by myself, getting to eat and partake of the festivities of food, it is like an event. Oh, I look forward to it. I, it, 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 is, it, is, it is a treat no matter what I eat. Uh, me and Pastor Jackson strongly differ here because J.J. is a simple man, and he sees food as a way of nourishment. 
It's caloric energy as a way to get through the day. And given his background, someone who used to live out in the woods hunting America's most wanted, eating astronaut food, it makes sense. Ah, but as for me and Pastor Pierce, we favor the food as a special part of life. It's easier, it's easier to love sleep. I remember when I was younger, it was a night out all through my 20s into my early 30s and oh, somewhere around 35. Naps became a pleasure, a, ple a pleasurable part of my life. And, then, and, and, and boy, about 9.30 rolling around, the old spine's getting stiff, the old brain is full, and the spirit is empty, and ain't nothing like laying on a big, thick pillow, covering up in a blanket and just getting serenaded by an oscillating fan. Doors closed, kids in the room, can't hear nothing but. Yes! You speak in my language. It's just easier sometimes to love animals, isn't it? It just is, man. Like, I, I love dogs, I do. I never imagined that my wife would be a dog person. Ashley doesn't have the best experience with dogs. When she was in her early 20s, she got bit on the buttocks by 220-pound Rottweilers. They was running loose on her property, and she was trying to get into the door, and them dogs could smell that fear on her. And they went up two Two bites, one on each cheek. She was traumatized, scared. She, she, she just don't like, she ain't ever been a dog person, but my God, this mini golden doodle has changed her life. I ain't, I never thought I would see my wife be in love with a creature like she is with Champy Anglin. But my God, she loves that dog. She be walking around the house singing to that dog. I need my kids to bear witness with me right here. She will walk around that house and sing to that dog. You're my best friend. I'm sitting over in the corner of the living room, puffed up, jelly, cynical, mad. I used to be a best friend, but now that joker sleeps between us. I walk in the door. It don't matter. She walks in the door, walks right by me, goes to the dog, walking around making up songs, making up lyrics, ripping, ripping Tom Petty songs, singing about the dog. He's a good boy, loves his mama, loves Jesus, and the Holy Ghost too. I'm like, I'm like, Ashley, you do realize that dog is not redeemed. He is not justified. He ain't even saved. He don't have to get saved because he's never been lost like you. 
I, I know it's complicated, but I have to agree. Sometimes it's easier just to love other things. Like pizza and sleeping in and many golden doodles. Yet, we're supposed to love people, even difficult ones. What is it, church, that makes a person so difficult? I wrote this down, just archived in my own mind. They're stubborn. They're snobby. They're opinionated. They're lazy. They're defensive. They're annoying. And they're mean. But the truth of the matter, what makes a person so difficult is that they have a sin nature. They were all born under the curse of our greatest grandparents, Adam and Eve, and whether they're lost or they're saved, they still have this flesh that inhibits a sinful nature. Okay, well, I get why people are so difficult, but why is it so difficult to love difficult people? Maybe you're in this room and you've been burned trying to love a difficult person. Maybe you're in this room this evening and you're tired of trying because you've chalked it up as that's just too much work. It takes too much of my time, too much of my energy, too much blood, sweat, and tears. They're all the same. It's going to turn out in the same way with every difficult person. You want to know the truth why it's so difficult to love difficult people? Because you also have a sin nature. You also have flesh. And that flesh gets in the way and makes people difficult. And that flesh gets in the way and makes loving difficult people difficult. I need a witness right there. The truth, ladies and gentlemen, the truth is this. Despite your nature or the nature of other people, it is not impossible to love a difficult person. It may feel like it's impossible. And in your own power, it is. But God has equipped you and I with an empowering enablement that allows us to fully love even a difficult individual. In the scriptures, God reinforces the need for love within his church and the life of every believer. He goes on to say, look at it with me, John 15 and 12, Jesus said, this is my commandment. This is not a suggestion. This is not an idea. This is a commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. When talking about love, Paul describes in the letter to the Corinthian believer in chapter 13 and verse number 7, he says that love bears all things. Love believes all things. It hopes all things. Here's my favorite part. He said that love's in, love endures all things. You know what that means? Love will put up with all things. Some of y'all right now are with someone and you have put up with a lot of things. You know why you have put up with their difficult tale? Because you love them. And that's what love does. Jude said in his letter in verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. And going back to our text, Luke chapter 6, Luke tells us what Jesus said. Jesus, it's almost like he gives us a breakdown. Like Jesus lays out a step-by-step how-to on loving a difficult person. And it becomes kind of obvious 
based on what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, that loving someone is displayed in our actions and our behavior, not necessarily lip service and intention. You can talk a good game and your heart can be in the right place, but Jesus says true love is demonstrated by your behavior and your action. Your love is displayed in your deeds. And he says in verse 27, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. When you and I hear the word enemy, that connects relationally in our mind like a militant metaphor. We think about somebody hijacking a plane and crashing it into a government building and Jesus is commanding all of us to love someone like that. And yes, we are to have a love for all souls, but this is very specific in its context. When he says love your enemies, the Greek word for enemy has two meanings. Enemy means a hostile or hateful person. I guarantee you that person you were thinking about a while ago, and for whoever it was that said, they're sitting with me, that's a hostile. At times there's things about their nature or their character or, or their personality that can be hostile. And maybe you're thinking about someone you work with or someone in your family tree and that person you would deem and describe as hateful. Jesus tells us, watch this now, to love this kind of person. This is the kind of person that Jesus wants you and I to love. And by the way, he is not commanding us to do something we can't do. So let me, let, me, let me offer this proposition to you, church body. I think every believer in this room, how many of you are saved and know it? Just wave at your pastor. Just I know I'm saved. Put your hands down. I'm talking to you. Every one of you, every believer can love difficult people. It doesn't matter who they are. Doesn't matter how close they are relationally or in proximity to you socially. You can love them and you can love them by implementing the following actions into your daily life and relationships. Are you ready? This is hard. Not impossible, but it is hard. Number one, Jesus said, do good unto them which hate you. He said, do good. Can we just say that all over the house together? Do good unto them which hate you. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Let's teach for a moment. Number one, do something good for them regardless of what they have done to you. You want to love a difficult person? You want to love those people that are running through your mind right now? Do something good for them regardless of what they have done to you. By the way, when you do this, it will mess them up. They'll be confused and scratching their head, wondering why you, someone who has been in their line of fire, someone who has been their target for abuse and attack, they will be confused as to why you are doing something good for them when they've done nothing but bad to you. This is an equation that God proves as true, and it works, and he tells us do good to them which hate you. I wrote this down. Doing good to a difficult person is the ultimate no-strings-attached gesture. I've been in ministry for 20 years, and over those 20 years, there have been so many people 
in congregations that I've pastored or been uh, connected to where I found myself in a position where it seemed like a difficult task because I was trying to love a difficult individual. It was almost like they were a part of God's church, but it's almost like they did not want to be loved. And they made it extra hard. And the harder they made it, the more the Holy Spirit would push me and drive me to try to love this person. And I have found out that if you will learn to love people and demonstrate it with gestures that have no strings attached, you will eventually win that person because hate is a language they speak and understand. But God has put you in their life to teach them how to speak a new language, and it's called love. And it comes with no strings attached. It has no price tag. It has no, this is what you can do for me later. I dare you to buy that difficult person at work lunch. Yeah, I know I'm crazy. I dare you to offer, hey, I'm going out. Did you want me to get you anything? I've done this before. I still do this. Now, there's some of y'all right now like, that joker took me to lunch. <laughs> Is that because I'm difficult? I don't know, are you? You know that, you know that whole thing, keep your friends close. Keep your, keep them hostile and hateful people closer. It's a no strings attached thing. I'm not doing this to see what I can get from you. This is not about what I can get from you. This is about what I can give to you. And I'm going to find something random where there's no strings attached, and I'm going to do good. I wrote this down. Listen to this. Instead of focusing on being a good person, focus on being a person that does good. Because when you walk around, I'm going to be a good person, you end up gauging that with your moral compass. And you end up being a person that's full of, you talk a lot of crap, and you're standoffish because you carry yourself so high and mighty and lofty and so religious and so spiritual that nobody can relate to you. Your standards appear unrealistic. Oh, my God. And you don't even realize that you're so focused on being a good person, you've now become a difficult person to like. And eventually you're going to be a difficult person to love because can't nobody connect to you because nobody can relate to you because nobody wants to listen to you because you're better than everybody else around you. God, this thing's hot. Are you hearing me? But if you will learn how to leave your bubble and you will go out of your way to do good to people instead of walking around trying to be some priest or some sister of the hood and just learn how to love people where they are and do good to them because you can and you don't want anything in return, it starts looking a little bit like Christianity. Jesus said, bless them that curse you. We don't do that. We curse back. We curse back. We trash back. We throw mud back. We throw shade back. We comment back. We post back. 
We ridicule back. We gossip. We don't know. No. Most of us have already checked out by here. Bless. Did James not call all of us out when he said, wait a second, that same mouth that you use to bless God, you won't curse men with it? You're a Sunday Christian, which means you ain't a real Christian. That's what Paul would say. Paul would say, wait a second, wait, wait, what? There's a work version of you and a church version of you? You know what he would say? That, that means there's a lost version of you. Bless them that curse you. Watch this. Speak well of them and speak well to them. It ain't that hard. It ain't that hard. If you learn how to pray before you think and think before you talk, I'll say that again. If you learn how to pray before you think and think before you talk, well, well, well Pastor Derek, I feel. Let me call you, time out right there. Right there where you said, I feel, you lost me. Because if you let your whole life be dictated and directed by the way you feel, you're going to live on an emotional roller coaster. And the name of that coaster is your name. And you'll be strapped into that ride for 70 years and you will be led and you will live by the way you feel. We do not live by the way we feel. We live by our faith. I have to put my faith in what God said in this word that it is true. I also have to put my faith in this word that it works. Something twisted and jacked up here. I believe that God became a man because he was born of a virgin. I believe that God sits in heaven, that he created everything there is. I believe that Jesus is going to come back bodily form, a celestial form, in the sky. And a trumpet's going to sound by the archangel. And all the dead in Christ are going to rise. And we which are alive remain. We called up together to meet them in the cloud. I believe all that crazy stuff. But I don't believe that bless them that curse you works. <laughs> speak well of them and speak well to them. This is where you say the opposite of what would be expected from you. Did you notice what I said? Speak well of them and speak well to them. Speak well of them informs us that that's how we talk when they're not around. Come on, you know y'all are 10 foot tall and tough as nails when they ain't around. You know you'll say whatever about them as long as you leave their name out of that post. They're going to read this. No, they're not. And they don't care. And you're a coward behind a keyboard. And you're about as spiritual as a gnat. And you wouldn't know Jesus if he rode in right now on a donkey and slapped you in the face. <laughs> Pastor Derek, ain't nobody going to come back next week. Maybe that's because they're out there making things right. <laughs> If you're listening to this audio right now somewhere going down the road or sitting at work or in the bathroom, I'm glad you're listening to the podcast, and I want you to know I ain't mad. I'm just trying to tell the truth and help these people up in this house, and I hope it's helping you right now too. I wrote this down. It isn't as much, when you're speaking well of somebody and you're speaking well to them, it isn't as much about them or even other people hearing it. It's about you hearing yourself say it. Because your instinct, your impulse is to curse them. Like which, which cuss word you talk, I ain't, that's, you're missing it. I ain't talking about ascribing four-letter words to their name in a run-on sentence fragment. 
I'm talking about the attitude and the spirit in which you talk about this person or talk to this person. I wrote this down. What you say behind a person's back is always a test for you to pass or fail. I'm going to say that again. Whatever you do or say behind somebody's back is always a test that you pass or fail. And by the way, sister, listen to me. God always makes you retake every test you fail. That's always an opportunity for you to pass. Jesus goes on to say, pray for them which despitefully use you. Oh, now we're getting down to the nitty-gritty right here. Pray for them which despitefully use you. Write this down. Pray for them instead of praying for God to move them. Because that's what we do. We start dealing with difficult people, somebody at school. God, I pray that you'll move that guy to a different class. And maybe he will. God, I wish you would give that coworker a different job. God, I wish you'd give my spouse somebody else. You ever pray for God to kill anybody? I have. I'm sorry. I'm so pray. Hey, pray for me. I ain't talking about like I did five minutes before I come out here. I'm sitting here looking at the crowd, waiting on one of y'all to drop dead. There was a part and a place in my life where I was so wounded and so mad and so angry and so hurt and so jaded that I remember muttering things under my breath to God, wishing he'd just take them out of here. I didn't care how I did it. I didn't care how I did it. Lord, just make them, make them go away. Because this planet and my life would just be better without them. Prayer enables you to utter the unthinkable over this individual instead of mutter the unthinkable. Because you, you're going to have a hard time hating somebody you're praying for. You're going to have a hard time wanting vengeance over someone whose name you're calling out before God for him to work in their heart, for him to work in their life, for him to intersect where they are and begin to perform the miraculous in their lives. You know, we say that we believe God ordained our prayers to orchestrate his will. What that means is God is so sovereign that prayer was his way of including us in his plan and will happening. In other words, God ordained for you and I to pray for certain things and that when we pray for them in his sovereignty and foreknowledge, God then acts on those things to orchestrate what he wanted to happen. We say that. God ordained your prayers to orchestrate what he wanted to do. Maybe this difficult person is not in your way. Maybe this difficult person, it's not even about them being in your life. Maybe God 
is interested in doing something in this difficult person's life, so he made sure you would be in their path because he needed you to pray for his will to be done in their life. Instead of walking around and muttering the unthinkable, can you imagine what kind of change would happen if you got on your knees in your face and you begin to utter this person's name and say, God, they drive me crazy, but I want you to save them. God, they make me want to pop off, but I want you to change them. God, I want to run their car over in the parking lot, but I want you to work. Oh, God. It's going to be hard to want to shoot on the bird when you get to work. It's going to be hard to backbite, tell bear, and gossip when you just got done calling their name out to your father. Jesus said unto him, I've always had a problem with this part. Verse 29, unto him that smites you, slaps you on the cheek. He says, offer the other also. Me and Pastor Jeff have always said, yeah, but he don't tell you what to do after that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's all you got. He says, if they slap you on the cheek, offer the other. It goes further, and him that takes away thy cloak forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. I wrote this down, get open to them, not even with them. I want you to see this. This, this, this right here, is he talking about in a literal sense? Maybe. But I think it's more about the principle. I think it's more about the alignment of our heart when people abuse us or take advantage of us. Jesus is trying to show us the attitude and altitude of the heart when people are mean-spirited and hurtful and hateful and hostile. Jesus is saying, turn the other cheek. Give away your coat. And whatever has been taken from your hand, don't ask for it in return again. In other words, get open to them, not even with them. Pastor Derek, what do you mean by get open to them? Remember, be open-minded that you are supposed to be the example of Christ towards this person. Oh, I wrote this down. You don't have to strike back, take back, or keep back because that will never help and you will never be able to win that person over. You think about it like this. You may be the closest thing that person will ever see or know of Jesus. All right, hold on. You're telling me, let people slap, let people take, let people steal. So you want me to become a biblical punching bag. That's not what I said. This is more about the attitude of the heart. Jesus is, he is he is pushing the line with our instinct to show us that we're supposed to have his heart on the matter and not our own. Well, here's the argument. Well, if I treat people like that, they're going to mock me, abuse me, manipulate me, 
hurt me, ridicule me, persecute me. All right, let me stop you right there. I thought you wanted to be a Christian. I thought you wanted to be Christ-like. Didn't you say you wanted to follow Christ and be like him? The last time I checked, they slapped him in the face. They took his coat. They stripped him of all he had and drove spikes through his wrist and his feet as he bled out and suffocated on that wooden execution instrument. And as he was dying for the sins they committed, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You got one shot. This isn't dress rehearsal. So everybody you're related to, everybody you're raising, everybody you're married to, Everything about where you work and everybody that works there, you have one shot to model what Jesus looks like to those people. One shot. And that usually involves you getting open and not even. He says in verse 31, everybody all right? I know this ain't as fun as last week. I'll make it up next week. This right here is what we need. This is what we need. He says, as you would that men should do to you, do you also to them likewise. Write this down. Treat them like you want to be treated. This becomes the gauge for your reaction and responses. It really does. It becomes the filter in how you react and respond to people. Am I about to say something to this person I wouldn't want somebody saying to me? Am I about to make a move towards this person's life that I wouldn't want somebody making a move? Am I about to trespass? Am I about to transgress? Am I about to offend? Am I about to make a decision or a choice that I don't want somebody doing to me? It's a golden rule. Everybody knows it to some degree, some format, some kind of way of wording it. Do to others like you want to be done to yourself. That's a simple thing that we say and know, but somehow it's so hard for us to do it. This is how you treat other people. How do you treat other people? How do you want to be treated? I wonder where that come from. Jesus said it. You've been using it as some kind of motto. Tony Robbins didn't come up with it. It didn't come off of Dr. Phil. Jesus says it. And he says, when you do, your reward shall be great, and you shall be the children of the highest. God's keeping record. Okay? Just remember that. And every time you feel like somebody's taking advantage of you and you're sitting there looking like a fool, being all humble, quiet, meek, men don't like meekness. They don't like meekness. They think meekness is weakness. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength under control. My dad always used to tell me when I was growing up, we'd be talking about bullies and people getting in fights at school. These guys would be running their mouth and jawing I'd see people get picked on, and I'd see people talking smack. I'll never forget what my dad told me. He said, there's them jokers that don't ever say nothing. Them ones that are all mouthy, all puffed up like a puffer fish, yapping. He said, you walk into somebody's yard, it's a chihuahua that'll be barking. 
But it's that Doberman pincher you didn't see coming that rip your cheek meat right off. Meekness is strength. It, it's, it's, you have no idea what I could do to you. You better be glad I'm saved. You better be glad I represent a king from another world. You better be glad he forgave my sin, washed me in his blood, and gave me a new heart. Because the old me... The old me that's still around. Mm -mm. There are days I think, man, I'm barely saved. Best days I think some of my staff is barely saved. Me and Pastor Jeff were playing golf in commerce. And we was on the last hole. And there was a group of college guys up at the green. They'd been drinking. We was on the 18th hole. They'd been drinking. So by the 18th hole, boy, they, they, they there, you know. They are faced. And I got a hold of one. I happy Gilmore the heck out of that ball. They was to the right of the green. That thing landed right where they were. Now, I didn't know I was going to hit the ball that far, but, you know, when you got it, you got it. I mean, <laughs> and they, they just kind of looked like that, you know, no big deal. And I said, hey, my bad, sorry. Didn't know I was going to hit it that far. Sorry, my bad. And um, we got up there to where the green was, and they was coming off the green, about four of them, you know, coming off the green. And, uh. Looked like they was about to head to downtown Athens afterwards, you know. Had them short, chubby shorts on and them polo shirts with a shirt with a little gator on there. Little hat, hair, and a visor like Kirby Smart. Went back 20 years in time. They come walking by us. Got on the cart. Drove right by. Didn't say a word. We got up on the green and we were putting. Here they come in the forerunner. Right by the hole where we were. And you got to understand, man, people get confused all the time on who's who. And so they thought, they thought past, maybe they just thought we was twins or brothers, or brothers from another mother, or thought we were in a gang or something. And they got over there where Pastor Jeff was at that green and slowed down, and they went to hanging all kind of signs out the window and calling us all kind of names. And I had a split second where the old Derek glazed over. I'm thinking, I got 39 years of, a, of mad masculinity swollen up inside of this Christian testimony, just waiting for the right opportunity to break this pitching wedge off of in somebody. And about the moment my flesh glazed over, Pastor Jeff said, come on over here with her. You ain't going to do that. <laughs> Come on over here. Ain't going to talk to my pastor that way. <laughs> he drawn a sword, bless God, ready to just take somebody's head off. 
going to knock you back to normal town, bless God. Come on, JJ, help me close. <laughs> you know what ticked us off too, by the way? They had every chance to say something. But they waited till they were in the safety of their SUV, heading toward the exit in mama's car with daddy's credit card. <laughs> When I was leaving, I said, Jeff, did you see which way they turned out the entrance? <laughs> All this stuff right here. Oh. <laughs> you had to. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. We'll talk. <laughs> How about this one? This one about went off the rails and ain't coming back. Let, let's, let's land the plane. Here, here's the real talk. All of this stuff that Jesus was telling us to do, it all is about modeling God's love to other people. Think, let, let's, let's go hypothetical. Hypothetical, serious moment. Me and Pastor Jeff make it to the forerunner. We open the driver's side and the passenger side, pull those guys out, and lay hands on them. <laughs> At what point in that formula are him and I going to be able to witness to these guys? If you died right now, are you sure you'd go to... lost our testimony. That split second moment. I'm like, I can see the main street news right now. Two bald-headed, bearded pastors beat the pants off of four freshmen at UGA. We wouldn't be able to model God's love if we broke everything Jesus just said to do. I wrote this down. The key, listen to this, the key to implementing every one of these actions that Jesus laid out is keeping your love account on full. Hear me out. Keep your love account on full. Because he says it again. He repeats himself. At the end of the passage in verse 35, he says, love your enemies. You have to keep your love account full. How do you keep your love account full? He says in verse 36, the key to the whole equation, be ye therefore merciful as your Father also is merciful. I'll say that again. Be merciful as your Father also is merciful. New grace. Mercy is the key to keeping the love full, even for difficult people. There is no reward for loving an easy person. There is reward for loving a difficult one. So I wrote this down, and I'll end with this. Remind yourself that God has been merciful to you in your past. 
Remind yourself that God has been merciful to you in your past. Review the ways in which God is being merciful to you right now. I'll say that again. Review the ways in which God is being merciful to you right now. Is everybody in this room, you, you, you got an A on every report card? You got nothing you carried in here? You got nothing you're harboring, nothing you're hiding, nothing you're dealing with, nothing you're failing? You're batting a thousand? Really? You're draining every shot. You're scoring every time. You don't ever fumble. Really? No. No. You know how you know how to gauge the way you look at people and the way you love or hate people? Review the ways in which God is merciful to you right now. Listen to this. I wrote this down. The bigger my sin looks to me, the smaller your sin against me will look in comparison. What if I started praying, God, show me the true size of my own sin? Show me how big my sin is right now before I start looking at the size of somebody else's. And, and look, look, maybe I need to be a little more honest with myself. Maybe I'm a difficult person. I'm sitting in here thinking about all these people that I think are difficult and the truth be told, if God was a human man, how difficult would I be for him to love? Can I stop and say, I am so glad God don't love people like people love people. That, that is one thing. <laughs> I, I got to testify. That is one thing you ain't ever going to hear me say if I was God. Because if I was God, I'd be at the top of the hit list. I'd be one of the first people that I would ball up and throw away and cast into outer darkness for good and forever. Can we stop and take a praise break and give God some glory in this house that God don't love us like the people that work love us. God don't love us like extended family love us. I don't care how good your parents were. Your mama and your daddy ain't got nothing on our God because when he loves, he loves for real. When he loves, he loves forever. When he loves, it's unconditional, undeserved, and unmerited. Our God is merciful. Therefore, I close with this. Resolve to be an extension of the mercy you openly receive from God and give it to other people in love. You keep the love account full, it leaves no room for someone to come along and deposit hate. I want to be so full of love for my brethren, so full of love for easy and difficult people that nobody can talk me into hating them. What's it take? What does someone have to do to get your hate mail? Can you learn to live on full with love? What if we were to be merciful to other people the same way God's been merciful to us?
Here's the bottom line, church. Give mercy to difficult people like you receive mercy from God. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcatcher. New episodes are posted on Tuesdays.